Act Four of The Old Bachelor by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Four, Scene One. Scene The Street. Belmore in fanatic habit. Setter. Tis pretty near the hour. Looking on his watch. Well, and how, Setter, hey, does my hypocrisy fit me, hey? Does it sit easy on me? Oh, most religiously well, sir. I wonder why all our young fellows should glory in an opinion of atheism when they may be so much more conveniently lewd under the coverlet of religion. Spud, sir, away quickly. There's fondled wife just turned the corner and's coming this way. Gad, so, there he is. He must not see me. Scene two. Fondle wife. Barnaby. I say I will tarry at home. But, sir? Good lack. I profess the spirit of contradiction hath possessed the lad. I say I will tarry at home, varlet. I have done, sir. Then farewell, five hundred pound. Ha, huh? how's that? stay stay did you leave word say you with his wife with comfort herself i did and comfort will send tribulation hither as soon as ever he comes home i could have brought young mr prig to have kept my mistress company in the meantime but you say how how say varlet i say let him not come near my doors i say he is a wanton young levite that pampereth himself up with dainties that he may look lovely in the eyes of women uh, sincerely i am afraid he hath already defiled the tabernacle of our sister comfort while her good husband is deluded by his godly appearance i say that even lust doth sparkle in his eyes and glow upon his cheeks and that i would as soon trust my wife with a lord's high-fed chaplain sir the hour draws nigh and nothing will be done here until you come and nothing can be done here until i go so that i'll tarry do you see and run the hazard to lose your affair sir good lack good lack i profess it is a very sufficient vexation for a man to have a handsome wife never sir but when the man is an insufficient husband tis then indeed like the vanity of taking a fine house and yet be forced to let lodgings to help pay the rent i profess a very apt comparison varlet go and bid my cocky come out to me i will give her some instructions i will reason with her before i go scene three fondle wife alone and in the meantime i will reason with myself uh, tell me isaac why art thee jealous why art thee distrustful of the wife of thy bosom because uh, she is young and vigorous and uh, i am old and impotent then why didst thee marry isaac because she was beautiful and tempting and because i was obstinate and doting so that my inclination was and is still greater than my power and will not that which tempted thee also tempt others who will tempt her isaac i 
fear it much. But does not thy wife love thee, nay, dote upon thee? Yes. Why, then? Ay, but to say truth, she's fonder of me than she has reason to be, and in the way of trade we still suspect the smoothest dealers of the deepest designs and that she has some designs deeper than thou canst reach thou hast experimented isaac but mum scene four fondle wife letitia i hope my dearest jewel is not going to leave me are you nicking wife have you thoroughly considered how detestable how heinous and how crying a sin the sin of adultery is have you weighed it i say for it is a very weighty sin and although it may lie heavy upon thee yet thy husband must also bear his part for thy iniquity will fall upon his head bless me what means my dear fondle wife aside i profess she has an alluring eye i am doubtful whether i shall trust her even with tribulation himself speak i say have you considered what it is to cuckold your husband letitia aside i am amazed sure he has discovered nothing who has wronged me to my dearest i hope my jewel does not think that ever i had any such thing in my head or ever will have no no i tell you i shall have it in my head letitia aside i know not what to think but i'm resolved to find the meaning of it unkind dear was it for this you sent to call me is it not affliction enough that you are to leave me but you must study to increase it by unjust suspicions <laughs> well well you know my fondness and you love to tyrannize go on cruel man do triumph over my poor heart while it holds which cannot be long with this usage of yours but that's what you want well you will have your end soon you will you will yes it will break to oblige you <laughs> fondle wife aside verily i fear i have carried the jest too far nay look you now if she does not weep tis the fondest fool nay cocky cocky nay my dear cocky don't cry i was but in jest i was not i feck letitia aside oh then all is safe i was terribly frighted my affliction is always your jest barbarous man oh that i should love to this degree yet nay cocky no no you are weary of me that's it that's all you would get another wife another fond fool to break her heart well be as cruel as you can to me i'll pray for you and when i am dead with grief may you have one that will love you as well as i have done i shall be contented to lie at peace in my cold grave since it will please you 
Fondlewife aside. A good lack, a good lack. She would melt a heart of oak. I profess I can hold no longer. Nay, dear cocky, I feck you'll break my heart. I feck you will. See, you have made me weep, made poor Neekin weep. Nay, come kiss bus poor Neekin, and I won't leave thee. I'll lose all first. Letitia aside. How? Heaven forbid. That will be carrying the jest too far indeed. Would you kiss Nikin? Go, naughty Nikin. You don't love me. Kiss, kiss, I feck I do. No, you don't. She kisses him. What, not love cocky? No. I profess I do love thee better than five hundred pound. And so thou shalt say, for I'll leave it to stay with thee. No, you shan't neglect your business for me. No, indeed, you shan't, Nikin. If you don't go, I'll think you've been jealous of me still. <laughs> with thou, poor fool, then I will go. I won't be jealous. The poor cocky, kiss Nikin. Kiss Nikin, he, he. Here will be the good man anon to talk to cocky and teach her how a wife ought to behave herself. Letitia, aside. <sighs> I hope to have one that will show me how a husband ought to behave himself. I shall be glad to learn to please my jewel. Mm. Kiss. That's my good dear. Come kiss Nikin once more, and then get you in. So, get you in, get you in. Bye-bye. Bye, Nikin. Bye, Cocky. Bye, Nikin. Bye, Cocky. Bye-bye. Scene 5. Fainlove Sharper. How? Araminta lost? To confirm what I have said, read this. Gives the letter. Sharper reads. Hum, hum. And what then appeared a fault upon reflection seems only an effect of a too powerful passion. I'm afraid I give it too great a proof of my own at this time. I am in disorder for what I have written, but something I know not what forced me. I only beg a favorable censure of this and your Araminta. Lost! Pray heaven thou hast not lost thy wits. Here, here, she's thine own, man, sign and sealed too. To her, man, a delicious melon, pure and consenting ripe, and only waits thy cutting up. She has been breeding love to thee all this while, and just now she's delivered of it. Tis an untimely fruit, and she has miscarried of her love. Never leave this damned ill nature whimsy, Frank. Thou hast a sickly, peevish appetite. Only chew love and cannot digest it. Yes, when I feed myself. But I hate to be crammed. By heaven, there's not a woman will give a man the pleasure of a chase. My sport is always balked or cut short. I stumble over the game I would pursue. Tis dull and unnatural to have a hare run full in the hound's mouth, and would distaste the keenest hunter. I would have overtaken, not have met my game. However, I hope you don't mean to forsake it. That will be but a kind of mongrel cur's trick. Well, are you for them all? No, she will be there this evening. 
Yes, I will go too, and she shall see her error in... In her choice, I gad. But thou canst not be so great a brute as to slight her. I should disappoint her if I did not. By her management, I should think she expects it. All naturally fly what does pursue. Tis fit men should be coy when women woo. Scene 6. A Room in Fondlewife's House A servant introducing Belmore, in fanatic habit, with a patch upon one eye, and a book in his hand. Here's a chair, sir, if you please to repose yourself. My mistress is coming, sir. Secure in my disguise, I have outfaced suspicion and even dared discovery. This cloak my sanctity, and trusty Scarron's novels my prayer book. Methinks I am the very picture of Montefar in the Hippocrates. Oh, she comes. Scene 7. Belmore, Letitia. So breaks Aurora through the veil of night. Thus fly the clouds divided by her light. And every eye receives a newborn sight. Throwing off his cloak, patch, etc. Vestued with blushes like... <gasps> Heaven defend me! Who's this? Discovering him, starts. Your lover. Letitia, aside. Vain love's friend. I know his face, and he has betrayed me to him. You are surprised. Did you not expect a lover, madam? Those eyes shone kindly on my first appearance, though now they are o'ercast. I may well be surprised at your person and impudence. They are both new to me. You are not what your first appearance promised. The piety of your habit was welcome, but not the hypocrisy. Rather, the hypocrisy was welcome, but not the hypocrite. Who are you, sir? You have mistaken the house, sure. I have directions in my pocket which agree with everything but your unkindness. Pulls out the letter. Letitia, aside. My letter, base vain love. Then tis too late to dissemble. Tis plain, then, you have mistaken the person. Going. If we part so, I'm mistaken. Hold, hold, madam. I confess I have run into an error. I beg your pardon a thousand times. What an eternal blockhead am I! Can you forgive me the disorder I have put you into? But it is a mistake which anybody might have made. Letitia, aside. What can this mean? Tis impossible he should be mistaken after all this. A handsome fellow, if he had not surprised me. Methinks, now I look on him again... I would not have him mistaken. <laughs> we are all liable to mistakes, sir. If you own it to be so, there needs no farther apology. Nay, faith, madam, tis a pleasant one and worth your hearing. Expecting a friend last night at his lodgings till twas late, my intimacy with him gave me the freedom of his bed. He not coming home all night, a letter was delivered to me by a servant in the morning. Upon the perusal I found the contents so charming that I could think of nothing all day but putting them in practice, until just now, the first time I ever looked upon the superscription, 
i am the most surprised in the world to find it directed to mr vane love gad madam i ask you a million of pardons and will make you any satisfaction letitia aside i am discovered and either vane love is not guilty or he has handsomely excused him you appear concerned madam i hope you are a gentleman and since you are privy to a weak woman's failing won't turn it to the prejudice of her reputation you look as if you had more honour and more love or my face is a false witness and deserves to be pilloried no by heaven i swear nay don't swear if you'd have me believe you but promise well i promise a promise is so cold give me leave to swear by those eyes those killing eyes by those healing lips oh press the soft charm close to mine and seal em up for ever <laughs> upon that condition he kisses her eternity was in that moment one more upon any condition letitia aside nay now i never saw anything so agreeably impudent won't you censure me for this now but tis to buy your silence kiss oh but what am i doing doing no tongue can express it not thy own nor anything but thy lips i am faint with the excess of bliss oh for love's sake lead me any whither where i may lie down quickly for i'm afraid i shall have a fit oh bless me what fit oh a convulsion i feel the symptoms does it hold you long i'm afraid to carry you into my chamber oh no let me lie down upon the bed the fit will be soon over scene eight scene st james's park araminta and belinda meeting lord my dear i am glad i have met you i have been at the exchange since and i am so tired why what's the matter oh the most inhuman barbarous hackney coach i am jolted to a jelly am i not horribly toosed pulls out a pocket glass your head's a little out of order a little oh frightful what a furious fizz i have oh most rueful <laughs> oh gad i hope nobody will come this way till i have put myself a little in repair ah my dear i have seen such unhewn creatures since <laughs> i can't for my soul help thinking that i look just like one of em good dear pin this and i'll tell you very well so thank you my dear but as i was telling pish this is the untoughtest lock so as i was telling how do you like me now hideous ha huh? frightful still or how no no you're very well as can be and so but where did i leave off my dear i was telling you you were about to tell me something child but you left off before you began oh a most comical sight a country squire with the equipage of a wife and two daughters came to mrs snipwell's shop while i was there but oh gad two such unlicked cubs i warrant plump cherry-cheeked country girls i on my conscience fat as a barn-door fowl 
but so bedecked you would have taken them for Friesland hens with their feathers growing the wrong way. Oh, such outlandish creatures, such tremontanae, and foreigners to the fashion or anything in practice. I had not patience to behold. I undertook the modelling of one of their fronts, the more modern structure. Bless me, cousin. Why would you affront anybody so? They might be gentlewomen of a very good family. Of a very ancient one, I dare swear, by their dress. Affront, pshaw, how you're mistaken. The poor creature, I warrant, was as full of curtsies as if I had been her godmother. The truth on it is, I did endeavour to make her look like a Christian. And she was sensible of it, for she thanked me, and gave me two apples piping hot out of her under-petticoat pocket. <laughs> and how that did so stare and goop! I fancied her like the front of her father's hall, her two eyes with a jut windows, and her mouth the great door, most hospitably kept open for the entertainment of travelling flies. So then, you have been diverted. What did they buy? Why, the father bought a powder horn, and an almanac, and a comb case, the mother a great false tower, and a fat ember necklace. The daughters only tore two pairs of kids' leather gloves with trying them on. If oh, gad, here comes the fool that dined at my lady free loves t'other day. Scene nine. To them, Sir Joseph and Bluff. Maybe he may not know us again. We'll put our masks on to secure his ignorance. They put on their masks. Nay, gad, I'll pick up. I'm resolved to make a night on't. I'll go to Alderman Fondlewife by and by and get fifty pieces more from him. Add Slidikins, bully, will wallow in wine and women. Why, this same Madeira wine has made me as light as a grasshopper. Hist, hist, bully, dost thou see those terrors? Sings. Look you what here is, look you what here is. Tol, lol, terror, tol, lol. Agad, tell the glass of Madeira, and I durst have attacked him in my own proper person, without your help. Come on, then, knight. But do you know what to say to them? Say? Pooh, pox! I've enough to say. Never fear it. That is, if I can but think on't. Truth is, I have but a treacherous memory. Oh, frightful, cousin, what shall we do? These things come towards us. No matter. I see vain love coming this way. And, to confess my failing, I am willing to give him an opportunity of making his peace with me, and to rid me of these coxcombs, when I seem oppressed with them, will be a fair one. Ladies, by these hilts you are well met. We are afraid not. Bluff to Belinda. What says my pretty little knapsack carrier? Oh, monstrous filthy fellow, good slovenly Captain Huff Bluff. What is your hideous name? Be gone. You stink of brandy and tobacco. Most soldier-like foe. Sir Joseph, aside. Now I'm slapdash down in the mouth, and have not one word to say. Araminta, aside. I hope my fool has not confidence enough to be troublesome. Hem, pray, madam, which way is the wind? A pithy question. Have you sent your wits for a venture, sir, that you inquire? Sir Joseph, aside. Nay, now I'm in. I can prattle like a magpie. Scene ten. To them, sharper 
and vain love at some distance. Dear Araminta, I'm tired. Tis but pulling off our masks and obliging vain love to know us. I'll be rid of my fool by fair means. Well, Sir Joseph, you shall see my face, but be gone immediately. I see one that will be jealous to find me in discourse with you. Be discreet. No reply, but away. Unmasks. Sir Joseph, aside. The great fortune that dined at my lady free loves. Sir Joseph, thou art a made man. Agad, I'm in love up to the ears, but I'll be discreet and hushed. Nay, by the world, I'll see your face. You shall. Unmasks. Ladies, your humble servant, we were afraid you would not have given us leave to know you. We thought to have been private, but we find fools have the same advantage over a face and a mask that a coward has while the sword is in the scabbard. So we're forced to draw in our own defense. Bluff to Sir Joseph. My blood rises at that fellow. I can't stay where he is, and I must not draw in the park. I wish I durst stay to let her know my lodging. Scene 11. Araminta, Belinda, Vainlove, Sharper. There is in true beauty, as in courage, somewhat which narrow souls cannot dare to admire. And see, the owls are fled as at the break of day. Very courtly. I believe Mr. Vainlove has not rubbed his eyes since break of day neither. He looks as if he durst not approach. Nay, come, cousin, be friends with him. I swear he looks so very simply. <laughs> well, a lover in the state of separation from his mistress is like a body without a soul. Mr. Vainlove, shall I be bound for your good behaviour for the future? Vainlove, aside. Now must I pretend ignorance equal to hers of what she knows as well as I. Men are apt to offend, tis true, where they find most goodness to forgive. But, madam, I hope I shall prove a temper not to abuse mercy by committing new offences. Araminta, aside. So cold. I have broke the ice for you, Mr. Vainlove, and so I leave you. Come, Mr. Sharper, you and I will take a turn and laugh at the vulgar, both great vulgar and small. Oh, gad, I have a great passion for Cowley. Don't you admire him? Oh, madam, he was our English Horace. Ah, oh, so fine, so extremely fine, so everything in the world that I like. Oh, Lord, walk this way. I see a couple. I'll give you their history. Scene 12. Araminta, Vainlove. I find, madam, the formality of the law must be observed, though the penalty of it be dispensed with, and an offender must plead to his arraignment, though he has his pardon in his pocket. I'm amazed. This insolence exceeds to other. Whoever has encouraged you to this assurance, presuming upon my easiness of temper, has much deceived you, and so you shall find. Vain love, aside. Heyday, which way now? Here's fine doubling. Base man, was it not enough to affront me with your saucy passion? You have given that passion a much kinder epithet than saucy in another place. Another place? Some villainous design to blast my honour. But thou hast all the treachery and malice of thy sex. Thou canst not lay a blemish on my fame. No, I have not erred in one favourable thought of mankind. How time might have deceived me in you I know not. My opinion was but young. 
and your early baseness has prevented its growing to a wrong belief. Unworthy and ungrateful! Be gone and never see me more. Did I dream, or do I dream? Should I believe my eyes or ears? The vision is here still. Your passion, madam, will admit of no farther reasoning. But here's a silent witness of your acquaintance. Takes out the letter and offers it. She snatches it and throws it away. There's poison in everything you touch. Blisters will follow. That tongue which denies what the hands have done. Still mystically senseless and impudent. I find I must leave this place. No, madam, I'm gone. She knows her names to it, which she will be unwilling to expose to the censure of the first finder. Woman's obstinacy made me blind to what woman's curiosity now tempts me to see. Takes up the letter. Scene 13. Belinda Sharper. Nay, we have spared nobody, I swear. Mr. Sharper, you're a pure man. Where did you get this excellent talent of railing? Faith, madam, the talent was born with me. I confess I have taken care to improve it, to qualify me for the society of ladies. Nay, sure, railing is the best qualification in a woman's man. Scene 14. To them, footman. The second best indeed, I think. How now, Pace, where's my cousin? She's not very well, madam, and is sent to know if your ladyship would have the coach come again for you. Oh, Lord, no, I'll go along with her. Come, Mr. Sharper. Scene 15. Scene, a chamber in Fondlewife's house. Letitia and Belmore, his cloak, hat, etc., lying loose about the chamber. Here's nobody, or no noise. "'Twas nothing but your fears.' <sighs> "'I durst have sworn I had heard my monster's voice. "'I swear I was heartily frightened. <sighs> "'Feel how my heart beats.' "'Tis an alarm to love. "'Come in again and let us—' "'Fondlewife, without. "'Kaki, Kaki, where are you, Kaki? "'I'm come home.' "'Oh, there he is. "'Make haste. "'Gather up your things.' Cocky, cocky, open the door. Pox, choke him, would his horns were in his throat. My patch, my patch. Looking about and gathering up his things. My jewel, art thou there? No matter for your patch. You santum in Nikin. Run into my chamber, quickly, quickly. You santum in. Nay, prithee, dear, I feck I am in haste. Then I'll let you in. Opens the door. Scene 16. Letitia, Fondlewife, Sir Joseph. Kiss, dear. I met the master of the ship, by the way, and I must have my papers of accounts out of your cabinet. Letitia, aside. Oh, I'm undone. Pray, first let me have fifty pound, good alderman, for I am in haste. A hundred has already been paid by your order. Fifty? I have the sum ready in gold in my closet. Scene 17. Letitia, Sir Joseph. Agad, it's a curious, fine, pretty rogue. I'll speak to her. Pray, madam, what news do you hear? Sir, I seldom stir abroad. 
walks about in disorder. I wonder at that, madam, for tis most curious fine weather. Methinks tis been very ill weather. As you say, madam, tis pretty bad weather, and has been so a great while. Scene 18. To them, fondle wife. Here are fifty pieces in this purse, Sir Joseph. If you will tarry a moment till I fetch my papers, I'll wait upon you downstairs. Letitia, aside. Ruined past redemption. What shall I do? Ha! <laughs> This fool may be of use. As Fondlewife is going into the chamber, she runs to Sir Joseph, almost pushes him down, and cries out, Stand off, rude ruffian! Help me, my dear! Oh, bless me! Why will you leave me alone with such a satyr? Oh, bless us! What's the matter? What's the matter? your back was no sooner turned but like a lion he came open-mouthed upon me and would have ravished a kiss from me by main force oh lord oh terrible ha 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 is your wife mad alderman oh i'm sick with the fright won't you take him out of my sight oh traitor i'm astonished old bloody-minded traitor Hey, day, traitor yourself! By the Lord Harry, I was in most danger of being ravished, if you go to that. Oh, how the blasphemous wretch swears! Out of my house, thou son of the whore of Babylon! Offspring of Bel and the dragon! Bless us, ravish my wife, my Dinah! Oh, Shechemite, be gone, I say! Why, the devil's in the people, I think. Scene 19. Letitia, Fondlewife. Oh, won't you follow and see him out of doors, my dear? I'll shut this door to secure him from coming back. Give me the key of your cabinet, cocky. Ravish my wife before my face? <sighs> I warrant he's a papist in his heart, at least, if not a Frenchman. Letitia, aside. What can I do now? Oh, my dear, I have been in such a fright that I forgot to tell you. Poor Mr. Spintext has a sad fit of the colic and is forced to lie down upon our bed. You'll disturb him. I can tread softlier. Alack, poor man, no, no. You don't know the papers. I, I won't disturb him. Give me the key. She gives him the key goes to the chamber door and speaks aloud tis nobody but mr fondlewife mr spintext lie still on your stomach lying on your stomach will ease you of the colic ay ay lie still lie still don't let me disturb you scene twenty letitia alone sure when he does not see his face he won't discover him Oh, dear fortune, help me but this once, and I'll never run into thy debt again. But this opportunity is the devil. Scene 21. Fondlewife returns with papers. Good lack, good lack, I profess, the poor man is in great torment. He lies as flat. 
dear you should heat a trencher or a napkin where's deborah let her clap some warm thing to his stomach or chafe it with a warm hand rather than fail what book's this seize the book that belmore forgot <gasps> mr spintex's prayer book dear aside pray heaven it be a prayer book good man i warrant he dropped it on purpose that you might take it up and read some of the pious ejaculations taking up the book oh bless me oh monstrous a prayer-book ay this is the devil's paternoster hold let me see the innocent adultery letitia aside misfortune now all's ruined again Belmore, peeping. Damned chance! If I had gone a-whoring with the practice of piety in my pocket, I had never been discovered. Adultery and innocent? Oh, Lord! Here's doctrine. Aye, here's discipline. Dear husband, I'm amazed. Sure it is a good book, and only tends to the speculation of sin. Speculation? no no something went farther than speculation when i was not to be let in where is this apocryphal elder i'll ferret him letitia aside <laughs> i'm so distracted i can't think of a lie scene twenty two letitia and fondlewife hailing out belmore come out here thou ananias incarnate oh how now who have we here? <gasps> ho, 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 thou salacious woman, am I then brutified? Hi, I feel it here. I sprout, I bud, I blossom, I am ripe horn mad. But who in the devil's name are you? Mercy on me for swearing, but... <gasps> Goodness keep us! Who are you? What are you? Saw. So in the name of the oh good my dear don't come near it i'm afraid this the devil indeed it has hoofs dear indeed i have horns dear the devil no i'm afraid tis the flesh thou harlot dear with the pox come siren speak confess who is this reverend brawny pastor indeed and indeed now my dear nikin i never saw this wicked man before oh it is a man then it seems rather sure it is a wolf in the clothing of a sheep thou art a devil in his proper clothing woman's flesh what you know nothing of him but his fleece here you don't love mutton you magdalen unconverted belmore aside well now i know my cue that is very honourably to excuse her and very impudently accuse myself why then i wish i may never enter into the heaven of your embraces again my dear if ever i saw his face before oh lord oh strange i am in admiration of your impudence look at him a little better he is more modest, I warrant you, than to deny it. Come, were you two never face to face before? Speak. 
since all artifice is vain, and I think myself obliged to speak the truth and justice to your wife. No. <laughs> no, indeed, dear. Nay, I find you are both in a story, that I must confess. But what, not to be cured of the colic? Don't you know your patient, Mrs. Quack? Oh, lie upon your stomach. Lying upon your stomach will cure you of the colic. Ah, answer me, Jezebel. <laughs> Let the wicked man answer for himself. Does he think I have nothing to do but excuse him? Tis enough if I can clear my own innocence to my own dear. By my troth, and so it is. I have been a little too backward. That's the truth on it. Come, sir, who are you in the first place? And what are you? A whore-master. Very concise. Oh, beastly, impudent creature. Well, sir, and what came you hither for? To lie with your wife. Good again. A very civil person, this, and I believe speaks truth. Oh, insupportable impudence. Well, sir, pray be covered. And you have, eh? You have finished the matter, eh? And I am, as I should be, a sort of civil prerequisite to a whore-master called a cuckold, eh? Is it not so? Come, I'm inclining to believe every word you say. Why, faith, I must confess, so I designed you. But you were a little unlucky in coming so soon, and hindered the making of your own fortune. Ha, <laughs> hum, nay. If you miss the matter once and go back of your word, you are not the person I took you for. Come, come, go on boldly. What, don't be ashamed of your profession? Confess, confess. I shall love thee better for it. I shall, I feck. What, dost think I don't know how to behave myself in the employment of a cuckold, and have been three years apprentice to matrimony? come come plain dealing is a jewel well since i see thou art a good honest fellow i'll confess the whole matter to thee oh i am a very honest fellow you never lay with an honester man's wife in your life letitia aside oh how my heart aches all my comfort lies in his impudence and heaven be praised, he has a considerable portion. In short, then, I was informed of the opportunity of your absence by my spy. For faith, honest Isaac, I have a long time designed thee this favour. I knew Spintext was to come by your direction. But I laid a trap for him and procured his habit, in which I passed upon your servants and was conducted hither. I pretended a fit of the colic to excuse my lying down upon your bed, hoping that when she heard of it, her good nature would bring her to administer remedies for my distemper. You know what might have followed. But, like an uncivil person, you knocked at the door before your wife has come to me. Ha, <laughs> ha, this is apocryphal. I may choose whether I will believe it or no. That you may, faith, and I hope you won't believe a word on it but I can't help telling the truth for my life. How? Would not you have me believe you, say you? No, for then you must of consequence part with your wife, 
and there will be some hopes of having her upon the public. Then the encouragement of a separate maintenance. No, no, for that matter, when she and I part, she'll carry her separate maintenance about her. Oh, cruel, dear, how can you be so barbarous? You'll break my heart if you talk of parting. <laughs> Cries. Ha! Dissembling vermin! How canst thou be so cruel, Isaac? Thou hast the heart of a mountain tiger. By the faith of a sincere sinner, she's innocent for me. Go to him, madam. Fling your snowy arms about his stubborn neck. Bathe his relentless face in your salt-trickling tears. She goes and hangs upon his neck and kisses him. Belmore kisses her hand behind Fondlewife's back. So, a few soft words and a kiss, and the good man melts. See how kind nature works and boils over in him. Indeed, my dear, I was but just come downstairs when you knocked at the door, and the maid told me Mr. Spintex was ill of the colleague upon our bed. And won't you speak to me, cruel Nikin? Indeed, I'll die if you don't. Ah, no, no, I cannot speak. My heart's so full. I have been a tender husband, a tender yoke-fellow. You know I have. But thou hast been a faithless Delilah, and the Philistines, eh? Eh, art thou not vile and unclean, eh? Speak. Weeping. No. <laughs> oh, that I could believe thee. Oh, my heart will break. <laughs> Seeming to faint. Hey, how? No, stay. Stay, I will believe thee. I will. Pray bend her forward, sir. Oh, oh, where is my dear? Here, here, I do believe thee. I won't believe my eyes. For my part, I am so charmed with the love of your turtle to you that I'll go and solicit matrimony with all my might and main. Well... Well, sir, as long as I believe it, tis well enough. No thanks to you, sir, for her virtue. But I'll show you the way out of my house, if you please. Come, my dear. Nay, I will believe thee. I do, I feck. See the great blessing of an easy faith. Opinion cannot err. No husband by his wife can be deceived. She still is virtuous if she's so believed. End of Act Four.